Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 62 of Life and Lessons. This week, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Peter Watson. Peter is the co-founder of Distract, one of the fastest growing and best known marketing agencies in the Midlands, but he's also so much more than that. He is a prolific founder and investor, currently sitting on six businesses and invested in a bunch more. He is the biggest advocate and holder of Bitcoin I know, and he's somebody with some really interesting views into the economics of the world that we live in right now. In the next hour, you're going to learn why university is the best place to be if you want to start a business, how to save and invest your finances in such a way to protect yourself in the next economic downturn, why it's the duty of honest business owners to call out bullshit online when we see it, what Peter thinks of the budget that was announced by Rishi Sunak on Wednesday, and so much more. Just before we start, if you're new here, make sure that you're subscribed to Life and Lessons on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening right now. Some of the people I'm chatting to at the moment to have them on the podcast later this year are just incredible, incredible people and I don't want you to miss those conversations when they're eventually published. So make sure that you're subscribed. But in the meantime, here it is. Episode number 62 of Life and Lessons with Peter Watson. So look, actually, before we begin officially, although we're recording now, so I'm sure people are listening, I just want to point the elephant in the room, which is the fact that for anybody listening right now who listened this time last week, I said, I don't have a guest. I can't find anybody at such short notice. So people are listening to this now and they're thinking that you're absolutely from the bench. You're a sub. I've, I've pulled you in. I just have to say for anyone listening and you'll vouch for this. We've been talking about doing this for a while. I've always had the intention to get to Lincoln and we do it together and whatnot. We're recording this remote because of the way things are. But I just want the world to know that Peter is here on merit and not because... I needed someone, although I did need someone. So it's a bit of both. You're, you're a bit filler. <laughs> well, well two, two things there, mate, is first of all, you didn't make it very aware that we start recording. So I was like staring. I don't know if you're recording this video as well. Like, I was staring at myself, making sure my hair was decent. And stuff. So uh, if anyone saw any weird angles or be saying something stupid, I wasn't I wasn't in the PR mode at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I think the thing is, Spooner, is that you know, I'm always happy to jump on and support support one another. Like if you've got a hole and a, a guest, I always jump in and try and help you out. I know it's hard filling filling podcasts every week, and it's hard getting guests every week. So, if I'm here for merit or uh, or from the bench, I don't really mind, mate. Either way, <laughs> it's one of those ones where I want to do every episode in person because you know me and you and Adam, we have another podcast. We've we've recorded remotely. It works, but it just doesn't feel the same. And so. Mm. In a way, you are the guinea pig here. But if ever there was somebody to bring the energy on a video call, I know it's you. So I'm excited. But look, it feels like it wasn't that long ago that you worked in Halfords, that you threw up a tweet on Twitter and you were looking for like a, a little website, like a shitty HTML website that you needed somebody to pull together for a business of yours. I think it was maybe like 2012, 2013. And I replied and it was me who built that little website when you were working in Halfords and everything was very early stage, everything was very young. It feels like it wasn't that long ago that that happened. And yet now we sit here today, uh, for those listening, I see you're in your enormous, very nice looking office. 
you're the co-founder of definitely one of the fastest growing, one of the most exciting agencies in the Midlands. You have six businesses, a conveyancing firm, a mortgage company, an investment company. How did you get from that guy in Halfords to here? And how did you do it so quickly? You know, like one of the things that, and, and it, I kind of got a little bit of a shiver like, actually when you said that, because um, the thing is you never really look back, right? You never really look back kind of where you came from, you know, how proud you should be right now. And I, I occasionally try and do that. I, I occasionally try and look back and, and realize where I've come from and, you know, how I got to where I am and stuff. And um, the number one thing, the number one reason that we are where we are is because I've always, always, always been very, very patient. You know, I've always, always been like, very patient, um, very happy to fail, uh, and most importantly, very happy to move really quickly. And I think that uh, every single business I've ever had has been bigger than the last one. Um, you know, it's always been a step-by-step process. Some haven't really made the cut, some have cut quite early on, but I think the uh, I'm completely and utterly fall in love with the process, being very happy, patiently waiting. And uh, also, I've invested everything I've ever had. You know, I've never, ever taken a fat salary, bought a Ferrari, um, you know, paid my house off in cash. I've never done that. I've always invested everything back into this thing I'm trying to build. Um, and I really am trying to become something um, by just being patient and investing along the way. Where do you think you are on that sliding scale, right? Because this just struck me as you were talking that you're quite far along relatively. If I look around me at my peers, because we're a similar age and yet you're 27, is that right? Yeah, yeah. If zero is you're in Halfords, if 100 is the absolute end point where you just, you're happy, you're content and you're ready to stop, if that's the right word, between that zero and 100, where are you on the scale right now? Well, we don't know, do we? That's that's the exciting part about entrepreneurship. We, we actually fundamentally don't know where we are on that path. But this could be the peak of my whole career and it could all be downward spiral from here. That legitimately could be the thing. I think it's worth mentioning for everyone listening, actually, is that you know when I was at Halfords, I wouldn't even call that zero um, because uh, I learned so much while whilst being there. You know, um, customer service skills, which I had to use today for one of our business to consumer brands. And, you know, like there's, there's many things you pick up along the way. And I, I think maybe when I was at Halfords, I was actually at number five. You know, um, where I was at number one or number zero would have been, you know, when I was 14, 15, 16 with insecurities coming out of every single crevice and, you know, being really like, a, like you know, couldn't even talk on stage. So, you know, we've all got to understand that where we are in our, in our journey, where we are with our pro- process um, is very, very, very much um, unique to us. You know, someone going and getting a job at Halfords could be the thing they need to get into the next next level. And I think that there's far too much criticism out there for people going, oh, you know, he's working in the garden center, or always oh, working at a cafe. When actually, that close to close contact with customers or in a business environment could be the one thing that actually starts their whole career. So I'm a big, big fan of allowing people to do things at their own pace, um, trusting the process most importantly, and 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 most of all, investing everything you have into the next the next level, and which is crucial. You know, um, you can't expect to get to the next level if you're not going to invest like you're at the next level, and that's what I've been doing uh, recently, anyway. So if Halfords is the five, if if insecure Pete at 14 is the zero and working a job that, frankly, people would have some sort of snobbery towards, not that there's anything wrong with it, but we know what people are like, right? You leveled up through that job. What did working in Halfords teach you? Which, by the way, is a question I never thought I'd ask, but let's hear what you have to say. I learned so much at Halfords, man. Like, you know, um, being able to walk up to customers who don't want any help and ask them if they need help is, you know, it's the first thing you want to do when you work in, in a store. And it's, it's it's scary the first time. 
you know, having customers that have got complaints, dealing with those, uh, trying to learn about new products and researching those products, you're the best in the field. And I was the number one sat-nav seller in the UK at one point uh, at Halfords, um, so because I knew everything there was to know about that product. Like I genuinely went out of my way to make sure I knew every single feature of every single sat-nav. So when someone came in, I knew how to sell them a product. Um, and I think that goes into every single walk of life. I've been very, very good at um, developing into sectors I wouldn't normally be in. Um, and right now, I've kind of got to do that on a grander scale, right? We've got conveyancing, we've got mortgage, we've got recruitment, we've got, you know, some online e-commerce brands, we've got hair loss products. Like, we've got so many different products and brands that actually me being able to hone in and research and understand those sectors has been very, very important. And I learned that right at the start of Halfords. I also managed to get to see the CEO of Halfords at the time, Matt Davies, who was the CEO at Tesco UK as well. And I managed to haggle myself a meeting with the CEO and the head of training and then Neither got bought out by a, a, a cable manufacturer. And, you know, all these things have just been pure and simple hustling. And, you know, my I still believe my number one trait, the reason I'm sat where I am today is two reasons. The first reason is I ask uncomfortable questions. And uh, uncomfortable questions could be um, when a client emails me and says, hi, I've got cash flow issues. Can you delay an invoice? And I respond, can I invest? Uh, an uncomfortable question could be, when I'm sitting with the managing director of an accountancy practice who's a client and I say, you know, you spend 300 grand a year on recruitment. If I give you 150 grand and did all your recruitment, would you be happy? And he says, yes. And I say, let's start a recruitment company. An uncomfortable question could be when I call one of our clients who's a large charity and I say, I think you should open a day nursery. And they go, yeah, why not? Now, these are all um, uncomfortable questions that most people wouldn't ask. And that's the reason I've been able to level up so fast. The second reason is I fundamentally at this point in my career do not care about anything external. Um, yes, I moan every now and again if I think that things aren't happening the way they should be. But fundamentally, I am so, so happy with what I have inside my um, kind of circle of influence that I only know what I can control. And if I know what I can control, I know what I can improve on. And I, I believe those two things, you know, that level of direct directness and knowing what I can control have been the ability to be able to to, to kind of uh, max up to the next stage. And I think many times people can't get to where they want to go because they're too concerned about things they can't control. So yeah, they're, they're my two factors, I'd say. You know, there's a book I read maybe three years ago now by Darren Brown, the TV magician guy who I never thought would be a really profound author, but actually probably one of the books that changed my life the most called Happy. Uh, and he essentially breaks it down to the stoicism point of view, right? Which is that the only two things you can control in your life are your thoughts and your actions, nothing else. And I used to be, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for absolutely ridiculous reasons, the biggest warrior. I would worry and panic and have what you could probably call anxiety, though I didn't know the word for it back then, about absolutely everything. And it's only when you stop and realize that actually... There is such a, a finite number of things in our lives that we can control and to just let go of the rest. Not only do you become like happier, as the book title suggests, but I think in a business sense, as you've said, you become a lot more, I guess, prolific. Because if you're only focusing on the, the 5% things that you can control and putting 100% of your attention towards that, you're levels, miles ahead of those who are worrying about the the headline that was in the Daily Mail today about business rates, the tweet that they saw of a competitor who's doing well, all of these crazy things. And so, yeah, I, if there's one thing I pulled out of that entire section of your life, it is that learning to focus only on what we can control or what we believe we can control 
is just is an absolute superpower. I, I think as well, though, that as a as a business person, you um, I've said this many times before, is that I think that your um, I guess what I don't know what the correct term is your highs and lows they 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 narrow themselves down. So I think that, and I would guess that you were a worry at the beginning of your business career, and you're not so much now. And having you read that book or changed that habit or whatever probably would have actually made minor difference to the fact that business kind of gnaws you down anyway. And you start understanding what's worth worrying about and not worth worrying about when you're running an organization with, you know, five, six, seven people, because, you know, there's, there's only a few things that really matter in that scenario. It's have they got enough cash in the bank and have they got enough clients? Uh, and, and, you know, you understand what you can and can't control. So I do believe that business actually sorts a lot of the, the bad habits out um, if you if you obviously are building up the, the right business, um, because, you know, we all know the things to worry about in business and just focus on on those being okay and you're fine. So I think that business actually has a really, really great tool of holding you as an individual. Um, I, I truly believe that one of the best paths I've ever been on was being an entrepreneur because it, it developed me into who I was today. It speeds up the the time under tension in life. I think that in some areas of life, I'm wildly underdeveloped because I've just focused so much. 100%. In... However, 100%. when it comes to just being able to be like a, and I don't want to use the word adult disrespectfully, but like an adult who can stand on my own feet and just deal with shit because I've seen it all before. Not everything. There are going to be things that absolutely sideswipe me from nowhere that I've never seen before. But in the, I don't know, six years that I've been doing business properly, I've seen so many things that were terrifying the first time they happened. They were the end of us. We would never get past it. And now they're just like a Tuesday. And, you know, for me, I'm running one business. You with your six businesses, I feel like every Tuesday must just be wild. Well, the th- I was going to say something interesting, actually. I'm, um, it's quite funny because obviously I have my specific role within our group. Brad has his specific role within our group. And because of that, we all have our own specialist skill sets and niches. Um, for example, I don't do any paperwork within the organization at all which means my ability to understand paperwork is zero. For example, if I receive a letter in the post personally about, I don't know, mortgage or conveyancing or whatever I'm doing personally, I send it to Brad and I'm like, Brad, can you just have a look at this, please, mate? Because I, you know, whereas you've been through the process of doing it yourself, like you understand these things. I literally hit, you know, if a letter comes through for the business, it goes to Brad's desk, which means he's obviously very, very skilled now on like understanding the small print or understanding all the things about operations and setups whereas because i've never even looked at that stuff it means i haven't developed in that mindset in my personal life either uh, and i think yeah you, you you develop really quickly when you're in business in in the roles you're running in the roles you're doing uh and because of that i've just not developed at all in paperwork <laughs> like i can i can talk well about it there's a uh, there's a concept by a person called greg McEwen of essentialism which is the idea that you should focus on the important few not the trivial many uh, and accidentally, I've stumbled into doing that. And it sounds like you have as well, which is that, yes, we may be shit at things that we perhaps shouldn't be shit at as people in our mid to late 20s. But because we spent so long intentionally focusing on a very small set of skills, um, you know, you know, I'll say it like I think I've developed massively as a result of that. It sounds weird to say it about myself, but mm. I think the temptation is always there, especially for people in their 20s and maybe even their 30s to kind of hedge to have their finger in every single pie, to not really say no to anything and to always have one foot in and one foot out. And that was me for sure, for years, uh, trying to do dream as it was at the time, as the same time as Magnate, whilst trying to be this fucking guy who tweets things and gets followers, whilst trying to be this guy who does public. Like I was trying to do so much. And it was only when 
almost by necessity, I narrowed it down that things actually started happening. It's like the the feeling of being productive is entirely different to the set of actions you need to take to really get things done, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's crazy. I, I mean, like, I also believe, like, there's certain elements and emotions in my personal life that I haven't gripped, I haven't got a full handle on. Like, I just think that's nat- naturally true. Like, you know, when you're so focused in on all you think about 24-7 is business, entrepreneurship, how do I grow, what do I invest in? There are naturally things you leave behind. Uh, but I think, you just, I think, look, the biggest skill is awareness, right? And as long as you know where you're slipping or where, where you can improve, as long as you understand that, you know, like, I, I, I often do an ego check. I often do an ego check where it's like, I know that sometimes my ego can be a problem. So every, I, I check my ego more than most people would because I want to make sure, wait, am I doing this for my ego or not? Just just understanding yourself is really, really important. I think it's also, to use your phrase of self-awareness, like you can be okay with not developing in every, in every area of life, right? Like there are, I can't actually think of an example, but there are things that I'd love to pursue further. And I know that pursuing those things would make me happy. But the question is, would it make me happier than the path I'm currently on when I have to take away from what I'm currently doing? And I think that lots of people, myself included in the past, have this shiny thing syndrome where you're always looking at the next best thing. And it's tempting. But you know what? I think that I'm making at least a medium term bet with myself that if I live this relatively boring, relatively disciplined, relatively repetitive life, it actually takes you somewhere more meaningful in the long term. Yeah, I feel that. So I want to take it back. I want to take it back to when you were at university, because although I didn't go to uni, this podcast, every time I have a guest on, finds its way back to university. And so this is why I want to hear your opinion on it, right? Because we spoke about your early businesses, but I think it's fair to say your business career really got going with Distract, which is your digital agency. And you started that when at university right you have a degree you went to uni you got yourself a degree you launched a business but now you run a series of businesses that don't really require your degree to the point where i don't even know what your degree is in what is your degree in marketing okay well i mean that's good there we go that's that's well at least i chose the right path right i mean look i mean i'm a i'm a big big fan of of entrepreneurship at university um i think that it's 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 underappreciated what i'm not a fan of is university which Mm. is kind of it's a two-pronged attack so let's go back to let's go right back to the start of university i'll talk talk everyone listening through what actually unfolded so um i originally was going to join the raf and be a fighter pilot that's what i originally was going to be um, but they made some uh, pilot cutbacks around the time I was looking to do that. And I'd started a few businesses on the side and I kind of like fell into this entrepreneurship thing. I love doing marketing more for one of my dad's businesses. I just thought it was fun to do. Um, so when it came to a career I had to choose, I went down the route of marketing. Um, came to Lincoln, um, bumped into Brad, who's my business partner, and obviously a few other people because he did marketing as well. And, you know, made a few friends there, whatever. And very, very quickly, that entrepreneur bug kind of stick stuck. And I started making new things. I was building an app called See You There, which is basically Facebook dating now. Um, I was uh, building something called Snap Discount. I had all these products. I just build them. And luckily enough, um, Brad was basically a freelancer of, of all things at the time. He could develop to a de- point. He could design to a point. And he could just do a lot of things to the point. Whereas I could do really none of that. You know, I was the ideas man with the with a good gift of the gab. And... So I would, I'd come up with a concept, tell Brad about it. He'd just say, yeah, sure, 20 quid an hour. Uh, I would pay him, he would make it, and we moved on with our lives. Um, and yeah, thought nothing of it, had a few different businesses, some worked, some didn't, whatever. 
And then in second year, I became the president of the Business Society. Um, Brad was going to be the marketing director of the Business Society. My vice president stood down because he got a job. Brad stepped up to be vice president. And we spent between second, we smashed it in second year. Like we tripled membership, doubled revenue, and we did really well. And then in between second and third year, we decided to stay up in Lincoln to focus on the third year of the Business Society. And Brad was freelancing for a business called Cheeky Imp, which was a design agency. Um, and it was doing all right. And I decided uh, that I wanted to launch a marketing agency because my mate was doing an internship at an agency and he was saying, they're charging like £2,000 a month. And I was like, fucking £2,000, I'll do that. Um, so then I you know, started an agency called Chatty Imp, which is a social media agency. Um, and we got three or four clients over the summer. And then Brad turned to me and said, I don't want to be a freelancer, I want equity. We haggled over equity a little bit. That got done. And then we just kind of went and built this business over third year. And, you know, if we had to take a salary from day one, the business would have gone bust within six months, probably three. Um, but the great thing about entrepreneurship at university was pretty simple. When you're at university, you get a grant to live, you get your tuition paid for, you get your rent paid for, you get all this stuff paid for. So I didn't have to worry about any income. You know, I really could play a long game. I could play a year and a half of everything we made put back into the business. I could hire staff rather than pay myself. It allow us to get that kind of multiple effect very, very early on. So we didn't actually pay ourselves anything for the first year and a half. Um, and then as soon as I finished university, we were kind of like, oh shit, we got, we got to make money now. And then we paid ourselves 800 pound a month, give or take a little bit, maybe 700 pound a month, uh, whatever the best tax allowance thing was uh, for, the, for the second year. And then obviously we started the third year and we kind of made a little bit more money and we could pay ourselves a little bit more from that point. And then obviously the rest is history. But yeah, the great thing with entrepreneurship at university is that, you know, you don't have to make money. You can really invest in the long term. Would I do it all again? Absolutely. I would 100% go to university again. I don't know. I'm in 60 grand of debt, maybe. I don't even know how it works. It goes up every single month. My tax guy sorts some stuff out. I don't know how it works. But the point is, is that the actual, the upside of being able to sit at university, meet people you'd never meet from different walks of life, uh, have uh, you know different experiences with people living by yourself in flats that you don't really like some of the people you know all this stuff that actually you it builds you as a person um as well as being able to start numerous businesses i mean people people used to banter me all the time for the amount of businesses i'll start at university and, and i i always said that i wanted to be uh, you know the the entrepreneur on campus i wanted to know about every single business that was coming at university um some people loved the fact that i was really boyish about it some people hated the fact i was really kind of boyish about it but yeah i knew about every single business on, on campus people tried to get me into their companies to help, to help to help grow them i was like no no i'm an entrepreneur entrepreneur and then in the end it kind of all sorted itself out in the end but yeah i'm a huge huge fan of entrepreneurship at university it gets a bad stick a lot of people go oh, university don't go, to, don't go to entrepreneurs don't go to university i disagree um but i do not believe in the university educational system i think it's an educational standpoint for most creative roles it's a waste of time um but it served me well what's your hiring stance you've hired maybe i don't know including churn what 35 yeah. people i'm guessing maybe. where do you stand on degrees uh i think that most people that come out of university have a chip on their shoulder um and they expect a stupid salary for someone who has absolutely no ability and who you know is nowhere near where they need to be um so i don't hire really from university anymore i used to we got a few but i kind of you know i'm not saying any of the people we hired were terrible but i'm just saying like the interview process you kind of like hang about you want 25 grand a year and you've not even brushed your teeth once mate like you know so so it's like you know there's, there's, a, there's a massive you know misunderstanding of what they're told and what they expect you know university is good if you want to go and work in i don't know like boots marketing department maybe but
but not if you want to work at a creative agency. And uh, look, boots hire an agency is all I'll say. So, you know, like I, 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 yeah, I don't really believe in, I don't really believe in hiring from university for roles like in the creative sector. I'll 100% go after raw talent, energy, enthusiasm, and passion. And that's basically what you look for. The problem is that's really hard to see on a CV. So if you're looking for a job right now, I would say there is no way on this planet you should be hiring, you should be applying for a job through a CV. Um, I did a talk at the University of Lincoln, actually. I get, I get pulled back every now and again, but I think after this last one, I won't get pulled back because there was five people at the front of the room. I was one of them. Three were working at big companies. Obviously, I started my own business and the girl next to me started her own business. And this guy's like just saying, oh, just send your CV and you never know what happened. And I just went, bullshit. Like, you think if you send your CV to a boot marketing department, you're going to get a job interview. You've got another thing coming. But they are getting absolutely thousands of job applications every single day. You need to find a way through. Maybe it's through a recruiter. Um, but the best way you can do it is to send something physical in the post. Be creative. You're applying for a creative role. Be creative. And I think there's so many lazy people at university who are like, oh, I've done my degree now. I deserve a job. I deserve a 27 grand a year job. And I'm going to send a CV. And it's like, you need to wake up, mate. You need to wake up to reality because you're going to be unemployed. So, yeah, so I said all that and it didn't really go down very well, obviously. Um, but, yeah. Do you think that the year we've just spent with universities being um, lambasted online because of remote learning with students maybe waking up to the realization that they're paying whatever the fee is, I don't know, £27,000 for a Udemy course, if I can call it that. I'm sure some people would strongly disagree. But do you think that between all of that, i.e. the system being exposed for what people like you and I perhaps believe it is, plus the kickstart scheme, tongue twister, plus traineeships, plus apprenticeships, plus all of these things that are different avenues that, quite frankly, at least in my school, when I was of university age, were not spoken about. Do you think that we're the generation that will be the last to really go for university. Uh, no, because you've you, you've missed all the best parts about university. You need to remember this. So, if I, if someone says, "Oh, name your fondest memories of university," they're not going to mention sitting in a lecture hall on Thursday at nine a.m. And so, so the question comes: Are you happy to pay fifty grand in debt to have the experiences of university minus the education? And then I would say yes. I actually, I personally would spend fifty grand to have the experiences I had from university, the, the everlasting mates you, you form and just the great life experience, I would pay 50 grand for that. So the people this year, unfortunately, because I know quite a few people th th this year have had basically a year and a half of no experience, right? They've been in university, they've been in their halls or whatever, but they've been had no experience. So I feel sorry for those people, absolutely. The question comes, let's say, for example, there was a uh, apprenticeship scheme or whatever, where you could go into a hall to residence Right? So you can have all the same experiences you had from a university standpoint, except you didn't have the university. You had something that I actually believe was better. Then you've got, then you've unlocked a whole, because I would then do that. Anyone who says they got the same university experience that hasn't been university experience, haven't gone university experience. So, you know, it's, it's, it's on parallel. What I do argue is that the university package is wrong, but the university experience, you can't, you can't falter it. Like it's incredible. It's actually, um, I was, I was, dead sure at the age that I shouldn't have gone to uni, right? Because I was this fucking businessman with Magnate doing his thing and rah, rah, rah. But then looking back, because I made such little tangible progress in those three years, I really do often sometimes think I wish I had just gone and it could have been any course because frankly, I, I, for what you're saying, I wouldn't have cared for the course, but I do listen to stories of friends of mine and what you're saying now. And I just think, shit, maybe I did miss that 
that collective formative experience that so many people go through. Going back to what I said earlier, maybe I'm undeveloped in certain ways. Would the I? average person isn't going to pay it back anyway. Sure, sure. And, and, and look, I don't want to get on an economics route on this because it's not where it's now. It's, it's going to be white. It has to be white. There's too much student debt. And the amount of APR they're whacking on these things anyway, it's just completely unfathomable. So, but, you know, I think I'm not saying go to university to waste time, have a piss up. I'm not saying that for a second. Like you should definitely have a reason to go to university. You should be part of your career path. But I wouldn't be scared for the number. Because what's 50 grand over a 60, 70, 80 year life? Like, forget it. So let's talk about these uh, these years where people have to grow right because business is a weird one you're somebody who's been documenting your life in business and in a sense outside of business for a few years now right you're 100 episodes deep on the podcast you've done dozens of vlogs countless countless interviews and chats like this and you've done it all out in the open which means that you've been exposed when things go well but also when things perhaps go wrong if that's the right word right i think of Weber and the brand that you were going to launch and then it never came about which you know you might want to go into in a second but i think that this all points to an altogether more interesting conversation it's one that me and you had separately a couple of days ago and it's that at least in my opinion young people this is a generalization i love generalizations let me be clear not everybody but young people in business right now seem to want to look like the finished product before putting the work in right it's staging photos it's choreographing instagram stories it's in some extreme cases like straight up faking numbers and tweeting them uh-huh. this is something that didn't exist at least in my recollection five ten years ago when we were very very first starting out like people just didn't come with this ego attachment of wanting to be seen to be the finished product where do you think it comes from gen z are absolutely fucked Shot. You know, like, I feel like we are, millennials are in the sweetest spot possible, right? Where you've, 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 you've lived without the internet. You've also lived with the internet. You understand both sides of life and you've got a bit of backbone about it. And I feel sorry for the next lot because they have been brought up on a world where every single Instagram picture needs to be edited, where uh, there's get rich, uh, get rich quick schemes all over TikTok. You know, if you're not making, if you're, you know, if you're not starting a business and making money within a week, you, your deems a failure. Uh, I think the actual best way to 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 start out is to be very transparent with what you're doing, even when you fail, because you know how easy it is for me to sit there when you say a oh, wayburn didn't work and I'm, it doesn't even remotely hit me. I'm like, yeah, it didn't work. Like, you know, supplier issues and better options came along the line. Like, it doesn't even remotely hit me. In fact, I actually forgot about wayburn until. Brad actually said to me about a week ago that we got a trade, we got the trademark for Wayburn on grass. I didn't even know. So like, I mean, like it doesn't even, it doesn't even absorb me. So, you know, I think that the fastest way that you can develop any part of your life is to remove any element of external judgment. And because I've been so open about things, I've got a lot of haters, you know, um, a lot of people will make fake accounts and like DM me on Instagram or will comment on YouTube. There's a period on YouTube where I got like five hate comments on one video. And I was like, wait, hang on, who have I pissed off here? <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't, I don't really mind. It doesn't really land too much on me because, again, like, you know, when you're so focused on something you want to achieve and you're like literally just honed in on it, you know, I'm naturally going to annoy some people because I'm a young kid with confidence that's making it happen. And some people won't like that. But at the same time, I'm going to inspire some people as well, right? And, you know, we can we can all be self-absorbed on all the, the bad things in life. But there's so many people that message me and say, thanks, Pete. Like, I really appreciate this. Like, you know, thanks for this tip, whatever. And that makes it worthwhile. So, you know, I, I really, really, really don't care 
about the negative at all. Um, but I think it's really, really important that you front your losses. It's really important that you just show it for what it's worth. Because, for example, you know, if I go out there and I say, you know, like my biggest investment will be my online pharmacy. And that'll be my biggest ever investment. And it will, I, and I very clearly have said this to the, to the, the, the directors. It's either going to be a billion pound company or it'll be a complete and utter bag of shite. Like there is no middle ground of this business, like none. And I'm going to be very open when I launch it. This is the biggest cash investment. You know, this is the biggest um, time investment. This is the biggest everything. And if it doesn't work in six months, a year, two years, three years, people will see me fail. And the great thing is that everyone who sees me fail will understand people fail. And then they might be a bit more transparent and less bullshitty. And you mentioned there on that little intro about people faking numbers. And I know the reason you say that is because there was that lad on Twitter who faked numbers. And I replied to him, tell him he faked his numbers. And I think that we should be calling out bullshit. You know, it's almost our duty of care of entrepreneurs when we see an entrepreneur with bullshit to call it out. Because it's not okay to sit there and say, I made 200 grand in six weeks. When some other person is trying to start a business that can't make five grand in six weeks and it's it's the it's it's our obligation as seasoned you know seasoned young young entrepreneurs to say no nah, you're chatting shit mate and you need to be called out and i called him out and he deleted the tweet and perfect that means anyone else seeing that anyone else seeing that is not going to be you know uh, upset by why they aren't making it or, or or wonder what they're doing wrong because that guy is flat out bullshitting uh, and I, I stand really closely by that. I really believe in that. I believe that we shouldn't be fronting things, be honest, because your honesty, your transparency could be the difference between someone being happy with their, their current position or wanting to throw the towel in. And I don't know about you, Spooner, but like I am all about let's get more people starting businesses. Let's get more people passionate. Let's help more people out. And so, yeah, I'll call that bullshit when I see it. I think the conversation to be had here is one of like relative perspective, if that's the right phrase, because you could start a business that turns over, I don't know, 10 grand a month. And that is literally life-changing, entirely life-changing, right? If you're making 10 grand a month, let's say you're making, I don't know, five grand a month profit. That's more than you're probably going to get paid in a job. That mm -hmm. is way more freedom than you ever otherwise would have had. That's a little bit to put away into savings. That's enough to get a mortgage. That's all of these things, right? And to connect, to connect to the point that you just made, I think half of the problem here is that those who are playing at a high level and document quote unquote that journey i'm thinking you know gary vaynerchuk stephen bartlett the people who really went hard on personal brand blogging they are exceptions to the rules right they can you know ipo their business they can be worth hundreds of millions and people look and assume that that is success and yes mm. sure, that is a form of success but there's a, I forget who says it, but it was on the Modern Wisdom podcast. Somebody said that you can't have somebody's life in kind of parts, right? You can't be Gary Vaynerchuk financially if you don't literally sacrifice your entire fucking life and not get enough sleep and probably push away, I don't know, family members, friends, whatever it might be to get into that position, right? The, the far scaled back version of that, having a net worth that is one percent of gary vaynerchuk's but being 50 percent more present with your family having more time to sleep having more time to do things that you enjoy that is as equal if not more successful but the problem is that people aren't having that conversation and so yeah, people I mean, feel look, look, so this, i agree with what you're saying apart from everyone 
everyone has the right to determine what they're happy and what their satisfaction is. For example, you know, Gary Vee, if let's say, for example, he had, he probably had that conversation with himself and he's gone, no, happy for me is working 133 hours a week, like having no time with my family. Be my guest, mate. You you might be like, oh, I have 1% of his, net, of his net worth, but I'll work, you know, be 50% more present. That's you. The great thing about this life is that as individuals, we have no right to judge what people will deem happy or not happy. The problem, and, and just to go back on another point, the problem there is with these big, you know, entrepreneurial vloggers is they're really hard to relate to for the average person. So look, you know, I get next to no views on my YouTube videos, like literally nothing because it's not romantic. It's not romantic to watch me walk, you know, let's say two years ago, walk around an office, running late for a meeting in my average car, right? If I had a Ferrari and I was walking to see next, maybe it'd be cooler, right? And and the problem that these entrepreneurs have done, and it's not their fault, it's literally not their fault at all, is they have shown the top, right? And the people watching have nothing to relate to in that other than maybe one day I'll be there. They don't understand what it's really like. They, they have almost, they've almost glamorized entrepreneurship to a degree that is unfathomable for anyone else. Right. And when someone comes in and is real about it and goes, this is what it's really like, they ain't getting views because it's not the ideal. It's not, it's not ideal for what happened to me today to have one of our direct to consumer customers turn up at the door you know, that's just not like, and I've, and then I've got to go down from, you know, writing a proposal to one of our prospects to now walking down and do customer service. That isn't, that isn't romantic. That's not glamorized, but that's the reality of where we are in our career. And I think that's the problem with lots of these big bloggers and, and Instagram stars and YouTubers is that they perceive this value, which comes back to our very first point, which is why does the next generation have to try and fake that they're successful? It's because they're comparing themselves to someone who's 20 years further in their career. What do you think the antidote to that is? Because you and I have, through design, maybe through accident, we seem to have, and by the way, just to go back, I completely agree with what you said. I'm not suggesting that Gary Vee doesn't have the right to choose his happiness. What I mean is that people need to understand that there are 100,000 routes to happiness and that they don't hang on to that one, right? We seem to have grasped that understanding. Do you think it's just a thing that you almost need to go through a period of learning who you really are before you arrive there? Does that make sense? I think people will go through a certain life-changing moment in their life, no matter and at any point in their life, you know, um, where you know they kind of get this this click in their head, or or they realise things, and then from that point, you know, everything becomes a lot clearer. I think that you know maybe you and I have had that at a younger age than the average person. Maybe, maybe I don't know, but I think that you know if you followed the average life, you know. They, you're told by your teachers to do a certain thing and your parents do a certain thing and to do a certain thing and then get married and have kids and retire. If you're told. So if you're doing that, then you know, in theory, you should be happy, right? Um, but I think if you if you if you break from that norm at any point, you know, one one of those things doesn't happen, and actually you're still okay. You're actually hang about it. I didn't do that that was supposed to happen. Like for me, maybe it was my mum dying when I was young. Oh, hang about it. I haven't had a mother in my life, my old bloody life, but I'm still all right. What was if I try this? You know, I don't know. I mean, this is all a psychology thing. I don't know this sort of stuff, but I would assume that if you've had a blip at any point in your life uh, that isn't the norm, then the norm just becomes a little bit underwhelming. Maybe. Don't know. 
I think that's happened on scale this year. And I think that's where we see all these businesses coming from because so many people have held on to, as you say, like the, the traditional path of happiness and then they get absolutely taken out because they lose their job or, you know, a family member gets seriously ill or whatever it might be. And they realize that actually, you know, there's the whole hedonic adaptation thing. Like you will feel very happy or very sad for a few weeks based on whatever happens in life. And then you return to your base level and you almost need to go through that to really trust the process that something can go wildly off course and it will probably hurt and it will probably upset you. But then when you realize that actually it didn't break you, you almost feel still there. Mm. You're still there. You're still breathing. You're still happy. Now what? Exactly. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said a minute ago. Um, and by the way, well done for not mentioning Bitcoin so far, because you and I had a conversation last night about how you are the the Bitcoin meme guy of the UK because you love to speak about it so much. So you're big into Bitcoin, right? And over the past year or so, you've bought businesses, you've invested in businesses, you've co-founded businesses like the one with Adam Horton, right? You seem to be spinning a lot of plates financially. And there's something that actually we've never really covered on this podcast, and that is the the idea of finances, right? Your stance, at least from the outside looking in, reminds me of something that I heard Tony Robbins speak about a few years ago, and it is the idea of being unfuckwivable financially, of being so diversified and so aware that when difficult times come, like they have this year, nobody can fuck with you. Now, that seems to be something that you've built intentionally during the good times. I guess I have two questions here, right? The first is, did you do that with foresight? Was that intentional? Could you see something coming? And then on top of that, just talk to me about your general approach to finances. So, um, no, nothing nothing uh, from the outset was intentional, apart from um, I love economics, hence why I bought Bitcoin. I love economics and um, roughly um, recessions happen every 10 years, give or take a little bit. And that last one was 2008. So we got to 2019 and I had a conversation with Brad and I said, look, the next one's coming. You know, you looked at GDP to debt ratios and, you know, we, we without this pandemic, there was going to be a recession, right? It was factual. It was just being borrowed time. So uh, we decided to to bank a lot of cash, reduce salaries a little bit, you know, really hoard for a, for a, for a good day, for a bad day. Um, so when the pandemic came, we were in a really good position anyway. You know, we literally had about 60% of our total revenue in cash. Like we were in a really good position. So we were, we were fine. Um, and um, yeah, in terms of everything else, like, you know, I've you know, you've got to remember, like, even since I was 16, 17, 18, every business I've ever had, I've invested in another business. Every single business I've ever had, I've put more money in. And we just progress that, right? So, you know, every single time you get money, you put money into another business or you put money into the same business and you, know, you don't take it out. Like, taking it out is bad. And all we've done is ever is always just compounded. And you know, that's all we've done. So when we see an opportunity, we put money in. It's quite, it's quite funny, actually. And we had a guy come in. I don't think we'll invest in his business, but we had a guy come in the other day. Uh, who wanted some investment for his business. And he arrived at a Porsche and he came in to meet me and Brad, 27, 26, for investment. Reasonable little business, good good inbound leads, need some optimization, we can make it work. And he'd come in a Porsche and me and Brad had walked here, right? And he needed about 40 grand. His car's probably worth about 70, give or take a little bit. So you're sitting there thinking, you know, just fucking pull your lifestyle back a little bit, mate. You've got your 40 grand, you're still 300% of your business. I'm sitting there going, 40%, um, 40 grand, I want 40%. And he, he, he's in a position where he has to take it. But he doesn't. 
right? Because this is the this is the difference. You know, when when you when you're in a position where you're you know, you're, you're you're in a good position with cash, you've got multiple different avenues. You've got me, you bit because we got Bitcoin. You know, you've got five six other companies. You know, you got to remember that we aren't on foot with it yet because distract is still fundamentally our main income. But soon enough, if you have six or seven cash flows that are all doing pretty well, then yeah, I can see how that statement could make sense. But if that guy just made some better decisions at a younger age, or even at this age, he wouldn't have had to come knocking on the door for that money. He could have just done it himself. And I think far too many people are on the rush, back to our other point, on the rush to be perceived as successful to drive that Porsche, when actually, if they just invested their money correctly, they wouldn't have to, they could probably have the Porsche in two years' time and been okay. Um, and, and, you know, we, I could have had a fancy car two years ago. Um, but I probably wouldn't have been in a, the relaxed position I am now with a global, global pandemic. I probably wouldn't be able to sit opposite the Porsche man and be like, yeah, I'll invest in your business. I probably wouldn't have been able to do the hair loss business. I probably wouldn't be able to buy that business that went into administration, which is you know, going to do a couple million quid. Like, I wouldn't be able to do any of these things if I'd taken my money earlier. Um, and, and actually, I think that's almost a disease in itself now because the problem I have now is I don't want to spend money. Because I've seen how my ability from such a young age to not spend money has put me in a really nice position now. And I'm obsessed with compound growth. So I'm thinking, well, if I don't spend that money again for another four years, I'm going to be in a really fucking great position. But then you have that conversation with yourself, which is, come on, Pete, like, what's the point of having any cash or having any businesses or working for anything if you don't spend it? So, you know, there's, there's lots of pros and cons to all scenarios. But yeah, the reason, I guess... To answer your question is, yeah, we're so diversified and we're trying to be more diversified. And it's all because we, we planned to the outer climate. You know, you can't control when a pandemic hits you in the face, but you can control the situation you're in if something did happen to you. And that's what we did. As an individual, then, to, to pick up on your point that you said this didn't start intentionally, right? About 10 years ago when you started our business, this, this whole financial position wasn't intentional and it's kind of moved into being something more intentional and something more tangible. Imagine you're in the shoes of somebody who is 10 years younger than you are. So they're just about to get started in life, business owner or not, just an individual, right? What financial advice do you have for somebody to make sure that they put themselves in the best position possible to be okay 10 years from now when the next recession hits? First thing you've got to do is make sure um, whenever you go and buy something, <laughs> I still did this until about a year ago, right? So I was earning £5.55 an hour at Halfords and I would actually map everything I bought on hourly wages at Halfords. This, I did it till about a year ago. So if I went to buy, for example, I don't know, a, a t-shirt or it was like, you know, six quid, I'd be like, that was an hour wage at Halfords. I still did that a year ago. So the first thing you've got to, first thing you got to understand is like do basic maths like that, be tight as fuck and pay your investments first. So what, so what, for example, you'd break down, you want to you get a little spreadsheet out, break down everything you've got, understand what's coming in, understand what you need to live on. So maybe your rent or your, you know, your mortgage or whatever, and you'll be left with a number. And that number, you have to put as much money of that to work as possible. And that could be putting some money in the stock market. That could be um, putting some money in uh, Bitcoin, you know, wherever you want, get that money to work. Because if it's in your bank account, you know, the actual statistics say we're running at a 3 to 4% inflation rate. Actually, we're really at a 12%. If you look at the real statistics, they just change the basket around every now and again. So actually what's happening is you're losing 10% of your buyable value every single year. So if you have 10 grand in your bank account, every year that's now 9%. That's now, that's now, that's now 9 grand. That's now 8,100. You see what I'm going with? So it, you know, every year you're losing money. So your plan right now should be to have as little money and this is not financial advice, obviously. Have as little money in your bank account as possible and have the most amount working for you. It is not good business advice or investment advice to have a chunk of cash in your bank getting 
This is terrible advice. In fact, my, my mate, I, I won't name him, so I'll give you real numbers. He was given 40 grand by his parents um, when he was about 16. And he was, you know, he was like buying whatever he wanted to do, you know, loving life. And he had it in some high, high interest, two and a half, three percent bank account in Switzerland, getting his two, three percent. And he left it in there for about five, 10 years, let's say. So till about 24, 25. And he got some of it out of that today. And he, mess he messaged me like so about six months ago, he messaged me saying, what should I do with this money? And I said, buy Bitcoin. And I said, you know, put in what you can afford into Bitcoin right now. And he said, oh, it's a risky investment. And I told him to use $4,000 of Bitcoin. $10,000, he was like, oh, it's such a scam. And then every single time I went up $1,000, I messaged him saying $14,000, $15,000, $16,000. At $16,000, he sent me a really bitchy voice note saying, I don't message you every single time I get a pay rise. And I was like, all right, okay, we're getting a bit fucking spooky here, but whatever. So I left it. At $25,000, he buys um, half a Bitcoin. So he puts in about roughly, let's say, 12 grand into Bitcoin. It's now 51,000. I made more money for him in that investment in three months than the 10 years it was in his savings account. Because, you know, there's a reason that banks want you to have your money in their bank accounts because they are investing it, right? There's a reason they'll give you 1% because they're making five. Um, and we aren't educated as a, as a society to understand the basic maths on money. Um, you know, compound interest is a thing. Um, moving your money away from banks is a thing. Now, I'm not saying don't be illiquid. You should be liquid. You should be able to access your money. But for example, I have basically no money in my bank account. Um, most of my money is in stock market or Bitcoin or businesses. But I know that if I need my money, I can sell a few stocks. Uh, and I can get that within two days. There's an interesting, uh, I've just been pulling it up when you were talking, so I want to remember the details correctly because this was another one of those, um, you know, when you read something and it just changes you forever because you're like, shit, that's so simple and so logical. And yet I've just never thought of it right. So there's an email I sent back in July last year to my mailing list. And it's about a UPS worker who never earned more than $14,000 per year. And yet he retired with $70 million in his bank. Um, and so the story goes, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially this guy, Theodore, was once complaining to a friend of his that he just doesn't earn enough money, he will never be able to save, and he will almost die poor, right? And then his friend was like, okay, but what happens if the government come along tomorrow and they tax you an additional 20%? You would find a way to pay for it, right? You would sell your 70 grand Porsche, you would do whatever it is to make sure that you can still live a comfortable lifestyle with less money. And so the friend suggested that Theodore taxes himself, the top line straight off of his earnings from UPS every single month, he takes 20% of his earnings, a tax, he hands it to his friend, and his friend would invest it in the stock markets. And of course, like you've spoken about compounding interest, growth year on year, just turn that into $70 million. Now, am I suggesting that everybody's going to retire with 70 mil in the bank? Maybe not. But I think that treating savings investments whatever it might be because yes yeah, sure you know you're losing what is it like seven percent per year if you're putting money into a savings account but that's way better than just spending the money right because you have it in your bank i think that people should and you know my financial situation definitely changed when i started doing this treat savings as a bill because you don't miss paying vodafone right you don't mm -hmm. miss paying your fucking car finance your mortgage whatever it might be so why do you miss paying for a future version of yourself and that's like the simplest advice I've ever heard. It's, it's, I say it and it's just laughably simple. And yet 
People need to go onto Google and type in compound interest calculator, put in 10% as the interest growth per year, which is the average amount the NASDAQ 100 has gone up every year. Um, so if you put it in the NASDAQ 100 like, index fund, you pretty much would get 10% a year. Um, obviously, check, check the history, et cetera. But you, and then you put in, let's say you put in, I don't know, 200 quid a month, every single month for 20 years, you'll be absolutely blown away by how much that'll be. It's it's absolutely great. I do this just as a hobby sometimes. Yeah, right? same. I do it as a hobby, I, I, but I cannot believe it. The number just absolutely skyrockets. It's crazy. But we're talking here, you know, the, the, these things we're talking about here are what I deem generational wealth. Like, I, like my Bitcoin investment is, it's a staggering number at this point. And um, my mates are like, why don't you sell it and buy houses? I'm like, houses don't appreciate 200% on average every year. Um. You know, the numbers you talk about, you know, if you get that right, let's say, for example, let's just give you an example. Let's say you had one Bitcoin and it got to be worth a million quid, which I think it will be, a million dollars. And you can put it in something called BlockFi, which is an interest savings account for, for, for Bitcoin. And you can get 7% a year interest, which means you're now getting 70 grand a year from one Bitcoin. And that compound over a 20-year period is now unfucked with a bill money. Like that, you're done. And then you give that to your kids and your grandkids, and now your whole generation sorted, because one person made one good decision once, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to. I'm trying to create generational wealth. Whereas if I set things up right, build things properly, I want to be on that family tree. You know where they're like, oh, it all changed with him. I remember that Peter Watson. He was the one that bought Bitcoin. That's what I. I want to be the generational wealth builder for my for my name, and that's what I want to do. And everything I do is, is is based on how do I make the right right decisions um, for, for long-term wealth. Because if I sweat my balls off for 70 years, it means the next man doesn't have to. I love that. So I want to talk about the budget, right? Because for context of everyone listening, we're recording this on Wednesday, about three hours after the Chancellor Rishi Sunak has just finished delivering his budget statement to the House of Commons. I caught a bit of it. I didn't watch all of it, but the headlines are essentially furlough extended until September uh, no changes to income tax, national insurance, or VAT, a freezing of the personal tax allowance for five years, which is just a tax hike dressed up, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and I think the one, based on your tweets, that you're going to have an opinion on is an increase in corporation tax of, after a certain profit threshold to 25%. What's your immediate reaction to the budget? I thought it was going to be worse. I thought they were going to screw us uh, crypto bag holders. I, I expected there were going to be like a capital gains tax increase or a specific new cryptocurrency tax because... You know, you know, an asset is literally have gone from three thousand dollars to fifty thousand dollars a unit. You know, I expected some sort of bullshit tax around that. Uh, I think we have to um, have a complete and utter tax reform in this country. I think it's so old-fashioned and dated now. Uh, it needs a complete overhike. And I expected it with us leaving the EU that we're going to do something pretty magical. But I understand that this budget was very much around, you know, survival. Um, it wasn't too bad. I expected a lot worse. The um, the annoying one is, is corp is corp tax, obviously. Uh, if you're over 250k, if you earn more than 250k profit, you got paid 25%, which actually unfortunately hits us. So um, so yeah, that's a bit shit. But I understand, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and be like, it's I mean, look, they could have it could have been 25% across everyone. You know, but it is it's still a six percent increase. It's it is a lot. Like that is a lot. Um but you know, I'm not an idiot. Like the, the amount of money that's been handed out. I remember actually tweeting around about March last year. That Rishi Sunak is a legend now, but he was perceived as an idiot in the year's time. And he hasn't been perceived as an idiot. He's just been perceived as, okay, he could have done worse, so fair enough. A lot of the interesting ones are things like the investment one. I think it's regarding about manufacturing plants where you get 100% of it off your corp tax bill plus 30%. Yes, yeah. 
which I was hoping was going to work for featured because I was hoping we'd be able to invest in businesses and then get 100% and then 30% off. But unfortunately, it's for like manufacturing plants. So it's about like if you're going to buy machinery or whatever. Furlough being extended is understandable. However, I'm just think that Phil is just, I think, I actually think Phil is now a negative on the economy. Uh, I think it's showing um, that we all know if our job's safe or not at this point. Like, surely. He could have just done it if your business is closed, you don't get furlough anymore. But you get furlough still. Like, you know, if you're, if you're like in, you know, because the problem is I have a recruitment business, right? And the, the, the whole recruitment industry is frozen because there's no one being, the people who aren't wanted are furloughed. But the people who are there don't want to leave because then they'll lose all their employment rights if they lose their job. So the whole recruitment market is just frozen. It's an awful market to be in at the moment. So I was hoping that further would have been uh, just ended in June, but now it's September. You're like, fucking hell, it's going to drag that one on. So I, I'm not, I've got too much to say about it, if I'm being honest. I think there's the restart loans, which is a good idea. Um, the mortgage thing is great, the 95% mortgage thing. It was a decent budget. Um, and I think Freeports is amazing. I think it's a decent budget. He could have done a lot worse. But I'm always going to be, you know, corp tax should be lower. I actually believe corp tax should be zero. Maybe should be zero percent because it's a double tax on on directors. So, for example, let's say I make hundred grand a year. Let's say, for example, I make a um, hundred k from the company. Let's just call it twenty five percent for argument's sake. I pay twenty five grand in tax straight away, and then I want to take a salary. So I've got seventy five grand left, and I take a salary. I'm basically nowhere near my hundred grand I made. I would have been taxed twenty five percent. So I think it's a double tax for, for 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 directors, and I don't think it should be there. I think it should be zero percent, if not nine percent. Let's let's be cheap. And if we get it to a to a better position, we get better entrepreneurs starting businesses. And the key thing is, if as a business, let's say on that model, I'm paying twenty five grand tax, but I only paid nine grand tax. It means now I've got an extra sixteen grand or whatever it is to invest in my business, to make sure the jobs are safe, to invest in another infrastructure, and to buy more products or whatever. So it's it's a tax against the efficiency of business. Um, so I strongly, strongly, strongly think we should have zero percent corp tax because the big brands like Amazon are just they're milking the system anyway. You know, like Starbucks. Here's Starbucks's model for anyone who doesn't understand. They have a coffee manufacturer or a bean producer in somewhere with zero percent tax. Let's say you're in Lincoln, you buy a cup of coffee. Yes, they pay the VAT, but the um, that company in Lincoln makes no money because they're spending all their money buying the beans in the place that gets zero percent tax. So now you, you know they, they, they're always going to have zero percent profit in all the places with tax. The company they're buying the beans from is in the zero percent tax area. No tax is paid. So these big companies they can get round it. It's not about going after the companies that make that make more money. It's impossible. It's impossible to do that. So just make it nine percent or eight percent or five percent. So it's actually fair for everyone because when you increase corp tax, all you do is increase it for the businesses that actually are director owned in the UK. So anyway, move on. Googling there, I once watched a um. It must have been Panorama or something about the, it's called like the double Dutch or the double Irish, depending on where they move their revenues through. But just the, I can't think of a company. There's just the shadiest of arrangements though, right? Where like the the UK based corporation tax paying company licenses the use of a logo from a company yep. that happens to cost the exact amount that their profit was and stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I think that the problem right, with this generation is that they don't understand this stuff. So they'll go on Twitter and be like, oh, we should increase corporation tax because Amazon aren't paying it. It's like, no, the f- but I fucking am, right? And 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 Sean is, and Sutton Touch is, and that car manufacturer that, that guy is, and that guy who's trying to start his own business and he needs some more fucking money, he also is paying it. Amazon will never pay it. Apple will never pay it. Google will never pay it because they're big enough. So it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's lack of knowledge. So, oh, increase it to 40%. We need corporate. No, you're killing businesses. 
I'll be if, I, if I'm paying 50 grand less tax a year, do you know what that does in the middle of a pandemic? It guarantees everyone's fucking jobs. You know, it guarantees the investments. It makes me spend more money on ad spend. It makes me buy more stock. It makes me able to do up my office more. You know, that's better for the economy than my 50 grand in tax. The economic multiplier effect is the biggest secret that nobody knows about. Every pound that's spent is worth something like six or seven pounds. But this is never discussed. It's like morons on Twitter. They, 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 do more, they do more for changing policy than they know. I will be intrigued to see if the, is it like the online sales tax? Is that what they're calling yeah. it? Like the, something, isn't it? Like extra or something? I can't remember. Because that almost seems like the only way, period, that the enormous players could ever pay close to the quote-unquote correct amount of tax in their uh, country where the sale originates, right? Because uh, to, to touch on your point that, yes, tax avoidance by enormous companies is this terrible thing, but I don't think, in all honesty, that it's something we'll ever win against as a country, right? Because you have to legislate against something that's already happened. Does that make sense? I don't, sense? Need, to, I don't think they need to worry about it. Like, what are we faffing about for? You know, they, they employ thousands of people that all pay personal income tax what we're messing about for like like i actually believe we should we should, and, and there's, there's there are some basic levels of issues with this but if we just removed all tax no one pay you pay no tax on anything apart from that right let's say it was 35 percent, 40 percent of that right anyone that's you covered everyone done you covered the drug dealer that makes his money illegally you've covered the big plc that's offshoring their money through corp tax we need a full tax reform in this country. It is messy. It is messy. Um, and also think about how great it would be if we had, let's say, let's just say 0% corp tax. How many businesses would come to the UK to start? How many people would they employ? How much of a magnet for great talent it would be if there's no personal income tax? Like we need to think about uh, revenue generators. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, no, like, there's no fake reason why people are ringing to Dubai. There's no personal income tax. But they've got great teachers going over there now, you know, great medical professionals over there, entrepreneurs flooding over there because it's warm as well. We just look at things in it. We just look at things in, a, in the wrong way. And the problem is, is that this government especially is a, a very much a government that is focused on opinion polls and noise and who's shouting the loudest. That's the problem. So we can't. The, the, do you know why China is going to be the, the number one country in the world? Because they have, they're, 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 they don't have short terms. They've been able to negotiate and plan and execute how they take over the world for the last 25 years. You know, you've got Trump over there trying to do something within four years or whatever it is. You've got Boris trying to do something in the same similar period of time. All they're doing is trying to be elected again and again and again. China, he sat there thinking, right, I've got 25, 30, 40 years to make this thing happen. Here's how I'm going to play it. Cheap labor. <laughs> get everyone in oh now they're all reliant on us increase my taxes or whatever like you know there is a lot to be said for long-term governments there's a lot to be said for low tax there's a lot to be said for revenue generators it's very very difficult i understand but i think we have to be looking more creative at these things now you know the things that worked in 1948 it's 2021 the internet is a thing um but yeah so let's let's end on a positive, right? Let's talk about how it's 2021 because I think that we both have the same outlook in a sense, which is that times have been weird recently. But 
there's always opportunity out there, right? And today's budget shows that we're at least slowly moving in the direction of a recovery. There's going to be pain. There's going to be annoyances. Somebody's always going to be pissed off when there's more tax, right? But we mm. as a country and as a collective are moving out of what will be the biggest crisis of our generation, hopefully. Hopefully there's not something else, right? But certainly what we've lived through so far. As we move towards, I don't want to use the word normality because we're not moving towards normality. As we move towards something different, what opportunities do you see? Uh, I think there's more cash than ever before floating around in the economy and, and people will be surprised by that because uh, it's definitely not in the hospitality sector, of course, but, you know, many businesses got access to the cheapest money they'll ever get in their life. If they've executed it properly, implemented it in the right way, they can have some real great opportunities. We're living in a world that's more connected than ever before. Um, you know, Zoom was around before the pandemic, but no one used it and now they use it. So, you know, my I used to travel constantly in a car I'm not traveling to anyone again. I'll do all my meetings on Zoom. And if and, and if you need me to come to you, I'll be asking like, why? So I think there's so much opportunity ever before. You know, speed is, is, it's even faster to make things happen now. You know, like me and Horton, like we started this mortgage company over like three or four months just through Zoom. We started a whole company on Zoom. Didn't even see each other once. Um, same with the online pharmacy. We met the boys once. Everything's done through Zoom. And I think the speed now, the ability to move really fast based on, you know, dynamic of changes or investments or what's happening in the in the in the macro environment, you, you can move really quickly. And I think it's down to entrepreneurs, probably people listening to this this podcast, to make sure they don't waste this opportunity. They, they don't waste this opportunity. Money is easier to get than ever before. You know, my friend, he launched a company, he got 200 grand investment within like three months. Just free cash. Because there's so many tax incentives now. It's something called the SEIS, which is like 50% off your tax bill. Um, and if it goes bust, you get an extra 25% off or something. So like you're basically risking no money, which means the people who've got too much money are like, just take my money. Like, let's try and get a 10x. So, you know, there's just so much opportunity. There always will be. But I think we're living in this period of time right now, which is the greatest era there's ever been. We've never had communication or opportunity like ever before than we are right now. Uh, and I think that the, you know, I don't know what, about blockchain, but we're about to enter an even more exciting period. So I would say to anyone listening to this right now, get your head down for the next three, four, five years. You know, don't look at short-term wins. It's going to take you three years before you can pay yourself. It's going to take you five years before you can actually pay yourself handsomely and properly. And if you can get yourself in the right position for when these next wave comes, which will be blockchain and innovative technology and automation and all this sort of stuff, if you're in the right place for that, you will be set for life. You know, like I, you know, I often think, oh, I wish I bought Bitcoin in 2014. But actually, the fact that I had the money and the access to the capital I have now to be able to buy it in 2017, 18, 19, 20, that really has set me up for life. Uh, and I just believe that that's what's going to happen over and over again. Amazing. Peter, if somebody wants to find you, hear your opinions, watch your vlog, listen to your podcast, where can they find you? Uh, follow me on Insta at pwatto, P-W-A-T-T-O. Uh, follow me on Twitter, P-J-Watto. Uh, or just search me on YouTube, Peter Watson, um, or LinkedIn or whatever, and I'll ask any questions anyone, anyone's got. As you can probably tell, I'm quite a, I'm quite opinionated, lad, uh, but I mean well. So please get home. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for this. I really enjoyed it. Cheers, mate.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.